My name is JD Henning, and you're listening to Cheat the Camera, a podcast by, for, and about short films and those who make them. Today, I'm talking with Andy Volk about his recent short film, Coffee and Sugar. Andy, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself and tell everyone a little bit about your project? Sure. Hey, everybody. This is Andy. I'm the director of Coffee and Sugar, as uh, Josh said. The project is a, it's a short animated documentary narrated by my grandma, Carol, who turned 95 this year. And pretty much the project was born out of my desire to capture my grandparents' story. It kind of came to me in a, in a last minute moment before you fall asleep when you're still kind of half awake. Um, and uh, so I interviewed my grandma a couple times, pieced together a little bit of a story about how she met my grandfather, how they fell in love, how they got married. And uh, it's just a really beautiful and timeless story. And there's this wonderful animator in uh, Bellevue, Washington, Neely Goniatsky, who did the um, animations all by hand, a mixture of 2D and stop motion and uh, Man, she she really killed it. She brought a whole a whole life of a fantasy world to this real world story. So yeah, that that's the film. Yeah, and I gotta say, I saw the trailers, but wasn't able to catch it at uh, the film festivals that it screened in. But I was just so excited, even just in the trailer. It's it's just very. It's very sweet, and just every every part about it. The fact that it's your own grandmother. The fact that, you know, just the animation style is, it's beautiful and, and, and round and it, it's just the right approach to a project like this. So I'm interested in, yeah, how, let's talk a little bit about how long it took for you from the moment you had that idea as you were falling asleep to, to the moment that uh, you had it finished and were ready to start submitting it to, pro- to festivals. How long was that process for you? Yes. Yeah, so it kind of, there's like two kind of waves to it. The idea first came to me in late 2019. No, what, what man, what year was it? <laughs> it was my last year of college. So, oh, wow. So I guess it was late 2017 is when it came to me. I had a friend who was experimenting with animation and I was, you know, starting my own relationship at the time. So those two worlds kind of combined and this thrill of going home for Christmas, kind of, I think all that subconsciously made that the image of capturing their story come to my mind. So that, that Christmas when I went home, I interviewed my, my grandmother, my friend, Angel. I'm from Arizona. Mm. My friend, Angel, who's still in Arizona, he helped record and kind of do a little bit of b-roll shooting during the interview um and then after that i just spent a few months whittling down our hour-long interview kind of trying to figure out where the story is and how to really capture their spirit and then i graduated and my friend went on to do some other stuff so we kind of put it on the back burner and then, funny enough, about a year later, a, a filmmaker, Tifa Toom, who I met at one of the other festivals in town, 
she introduced me to Neely and Neely and I just hit it off. We grabbed coffee and talked for about two hours, just spitballing ideas. I sent her the transcript of what I had. She helped me cut it down some more. And eventually we just spent probably about three or four months developing the, the idea, like really kind of working on the imagery and the motifs and what we wanted the story to be. And then in early 2020, just before the pandemic happened, we launched a Seed and Spark crowdfunding campaign to just raise some funds to uh, support the team. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, and then a little bit of a delay due to COVID, <laughs> about three, four months. That kind of put a, put a, a time stop on it, which is actually, you know, for a weird, for, for a global pandemic was a weird kind of blessing in disguise that it helped us kind of take stock of what we had and like, Mm-hmm. take a couple steps back and really kind of reorient ourselves with the project. And then we finished it January, 2021 and it premiered at SIF in March. No, April. It yeah. premiered in April. Yeah. And that must be really exciting for your, your little documentary project that you'd had kind of sitting on a hard drive somewhere for several years to premiere at SIF. Mm-hmm. That's, that's really exciting, my friend. Yeah, no, it was, it was surreal. I remember I was, I was working a, a job. It was like a 4 a.m. start time. And I just happened to look at my email as I got in and saw I got the acceptance. And it just like blew my mind. And I messaged Neely and like a couple other people on the team, like at 4.30 in the morning. I was like, we got in, we got in, that's it. And then work got crazy. So I didn't really get a chance to fully process it until like 6 p.m. that night. But uh, yeah, and it was... Uh, you know, it was it was quite the surreal ride. Yeah, that that is just that is so great, and I'm so glad. Sif, for those who haven't been able to attend, it's the Seattle International Film Festival. Andy and I, by the way, we've worked on some projects together. He's also a local Seattle stalwart in the film community, and I'm just really excited that your project made it in because it it is. Yeah. I mean, you said it that it's, you know, it's kind of timeless and, you know, it's it's a beautiful little love story, but it really it really is very sweet. And I think part of the reason that it's so sweet is because of your Nana or it's Carol. Yeah, yeah, but you can call her Nana. (laughs) Okay, well, uh, so interviewing your Nana, what was that experience like? It seems like you obviously have a really great relationship with her, so I'm sure that was helpful, but. I, I also know that when you're talking with somebody who you know so well, sometimes sometimes it can be a little difficult to, to kind of draw out the whole story. Why don't you talk a little bit about what that process of interviewing her was like? Yeah, it was uh, it was definitely different than I than I expected going into it. You know, I this was when I was twenty three, twenty two. Man, time is crazy. <laughs> but you so, see, you know, I grew up. I, I grew up my whole life hearing these stories about the two of them meeting and all the crazy adventures that she went on with him and the rest of the family. Not a spoiler; it's just kind of part of the story. But they had mm-hmm. eight kids, mm-hmm. so they had quite a uh, quite a crazy amounts of of adventures in Arizona and in California. Um, 
so when I interviewed her, I kind of had some ideas of the stories I wanted to capture just because I knew those like by heart from hearing them from my aunts and uncles. Mm-hmm. But, you know, she she had her own stories that she wanted to tell. And I got to learn so many new things um, about her and my grandfather. There were there's so many small details that I'd never heard before. And, you know, um, I, f- I feel like with a lot of younger younger kids we don't take the time to really sit with our grandparents and ask them their stories mm-hmm. and so i wanted to do that so it, it felt very important to me just to capture that while i still could yeah absolutely and uh it sounds like when you were when you were interviewing her she had there were a lot of different things that you talked about so how did you decide to focus on really basically the love story between your two grandparents? Why, why did you decide to make that what the story, what the short was about? Well, that's kind of always what it was going to be about at its core. It definitely went through some variations. There were tons, tons more stories of the kids growing up. And I ended up cutting out quite a bit of that because I realized, you know, for so, for a short, it's it's a very short amount of time to really get to know somebody and get mm-hmm. this story that spans 65 years. Mm-hmm. So trying to introduce eight other people <laughs> would have been a lot. So yeah. um, I really, I really just, and that's where my, one of my friends, Jules came in. That's where Neely came in is is helping cut down some of those extraneous stories that are cute that are lively that would have been really fun to tell but just didn't really that that kind of took away the focus from my grandparents and their journey together yeah that makes a lot of sense it's you know it's about what six minutes long that's that's just enough time just enough time to get a sense of how you know, fun and, uh, and, and, and pleasant, you know, the, it would be to spend an afternoon, you know, over, over iced tea with Nana. I mean, that's kind of what it felt like to me. I, it felt, you know, different sorts of documentaries have very, very different uh, sort of tone or feeling. And this felt very much like we got to just kind of sit on your shoulder and have, relaxed, very, very pleasant, very warm, kind of love-filled sort of conversation. That, that was definitely what I had coming, uh, coming away from it. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it, it was great. And so let's talk a little bit about uh, some of your, your collaborators. Obviously, the first person that I think of from my end is the person who did your animation. Her name is Neely? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so... Neely Goniatsky. Neely Goniatsky. Awesome. So why don't you talk a little bit about what it was like to work with an animator on this project, how you came up with the concepts, how it, how it came together? Yeah, so Neely really brought this, this whole unique perspective to the project. I had some ideas of what I wanted the animation to be like, and she you know has her own incredibly unique and, and versatile style but 
she when we first met she was a was a new mom so she kind of had this different perspective of of starting her own family so i th- think she really helped bring in this this other perspective into it about the creation of a family and what that means mm. and how this story was about the beginnings of what became a very very large family mm-hmm. um and she so she has such a unique way of seeing the world just with the way she animates them um, for anybody out there if you go to her website she's got a bunch of of, of her shorts on there and it's abstract it's surreal it's also still very grounded she's done work for the new york times um so she just has this way of really kind of reaching out into the depths of of like our existence and like pulling that out and like making that feel so real and i think she she just did that she blew me away with so many of her ideas and you know i wish we could have done like a an hour-long version of it just to show off what she could do. Yeah, yeah, and they were, it, it's kind of, yeah, her, her style is, is just right for this project. Her approach to this project was, was spot on. And it's interesting because it wasn't necessarily, you know, a high motion sort of thing. I, I feel like, for people who are in filmmaking, at least this is something that I fall prey to sometimes. I think, oh, well, there's got to be more, more, and more. And and sometimes that works on various projects, but also when there is less, that, that can actually be even better. And that really feels like it's very true. You know, the, the animation and the the style that she used was very simple, but the, that very simplicity kind of accentuated kind of the timelessness of the story itself. Yeah, yeah. That's definitely something that we talked a lot about because this was my first animated project, funny enough. So I I was very new to this world and, and you know, I can't thank her enough for being patient with me as I learned how to navigate the world of animation and how you know, she, she really helped kind of guide me in that. It, she, she really did such a good job with, um, with that, with what you're saying about the simplicity. You know, there are some times where I'd say, I want to, I wanted to do more, you know, I, I think there's that personal attachment I had to the story. Mm-hmm. So I was like, I wanted to do more. I wanted to really make it something huge. And then she would often kind of like rein me back in, but then throw in like another splash of something else. And that would just solve the issue completely. And so, um, you know, this movie definitely would not happen, have happened without her, but I definitely owe her so much because of what she did for this. Yeah, it sounds like a, a great partnership that you had with her. One thing that I found interesting as I was watching your short I went into it expecting that there would be really more time spent watching Nana talk. And actually there was almost no time spent watching Nana talk, which worked perfectly. But I'm wondering what the decision-making went into where you decided to go with essentially archival footage from you know, home videos and, and sure. animation. And that was a strong decision and it. I think it's much stronger for it, but I'm wondering 
why you ended up deciding to go that way. Yeah. Um, one of the earlier cuts definitely had more time with her in the beginning. It was a bit more of like a slower start to kind of introduce who she was and who I was. We had some shots of her doing like a puzzle mm. and like showing and like doing, giving a little guide of some of the photos in her hallway. Mm. But it kind of, it, it wasn't connecting very well. You know, you got you got to learn to be honest with yourself. And luckily I, a week before the SIF deadline, I, I realized that and, and called a friend, Greg Westoff, and he just spent like three days with me on the phone every every few hours just just kind of dissecting the intro um and we just came up with this idea of of mixing the live action or the 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 b-roll from the interview with this archival video that i had because i really wanted to use that but i couldn't figure out quite how because mm -hmm. i wanted to use it to introduce the family to introduce myself because that relationship is is important um mm -hmm. She kind of talks about that a little bit in the actual story. She mentions me. So I wanted to really paint the picture of our our relationship quickly and then just let the story take off. Um, and I, I felt I just felt, you know, the animation was was worth getting into so quickly, even though, my, you know, my grandma is a great presence on screen. The animation was was what we were really trying to uh, to use to t to tell their story. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and even in you know the the little trailer for your film where you're sitting next to your nana and you're chatting and and it's just obvious that you have such great affection for each other. That that was why I was expecting so much more of it because I thought, oh well, that's that's great. I I want to see more of that sort of thing. But yeah, the animation somehow managed to elevate it. And we were, yeah, the abstract nature of the animation allowed us to, allowed us to kind of paint the story in a much, in a much more vivid way than I think if it had been kind of weighed down by the concrete nature of actually seeing the physical person. So I, I definitely think that it was a great decision. It sounds like there might have been perhaps an 11th hour voiceover session to kind of get <laughs> you into it. There, there was. I, I grabbed my, my Zoom my zoom h5 and stood in my closet <laughs> and and used my my hanging clothes as a buffer and uh, just awkwardly recorded me saying a bunch of random lines and then just kind of plugging them and figuring out what worked and what didn't work and just try not to overthink it yeah just really try not to overthink it like let it come naturally yeah i feel like that would be the thing uh, I would have trouble with working on a project mm. like this because it's so personal. It's you, it's your family, it's it's your Nana, that the potential to be too precious with it, the potential to overthink it too much is is very high in a project like this because there's not a lot of distance. How did yeah. you how did you find the distance and the reserve that you needed in order to in order to cut when there were stories that are important to you, important to your family, in order to really figure out what the shape of this needs to be for a six minute project? I think honestly, because of how long it took to get this off the ground, that kind of helped me really put it into perspective because 
before I met Neely, I had, you know, I was thinking it would be closer to 12 minutes. Mm. So I, I had a few different cuts, some that were 12, 15 and 20. Mm. Um, I'd bounce around between those swapping in and swapping stories in and out. So, and then once I had to put it on the back burner, you know, I, I almost let it stay there. And I think, so I think once I picked it back up, I was able to come at it from a, a new perspective, just being in a different place in my life, having almost a year of not really thinking about it. Mm-hmm. And then once I met Neely, like really started to think about, you know, what story do we want to tell? What intentions do we have with this project? And what could we feasibly do? Because, you know, there were sometimes some really cute stories that were only an eight second bit of dialogue. Mm-hmm. But in like eight seconds is a really hard amount of time to animate for such a short, um, like mm-hmm. a short blip within the whole film. Right. So then I moved some things around and combined a couple, couple parts of her interview to create that through line of, of their story. Yeah. Yeah. I, there's, I don't know if montage is quite the right word just because of the nature of the project, but there's uh, a point where Nana begins talking about all of these adventures that she's had along the way. And, you know, she talks about all of these different travel destinations. And there's a point where she says, it was when I was 60, question mark, 70. And and the animation, it's just it's great because there's a hand that reaches in and removes the 60 from a birthday cake yeah. and puts it down with seven. I, I loved that moment. That was, <laughs> that was, it was great. And it felt uh, authentic. You know, she, she's not pretending to be perfect. You're not cutting it out so that she's perfect. It's, it's, it's letting that humanity come through that I thought was yeah. great. And, you know, the ride on the elephant that, you know, for, for those who haven't seen it, definitely make sure you get a chance to see it because it's those sorts of moments of humanity that I think, you know, that make this project what it is. Um, uh, yeah, the, the the candle part is definitely one of my favorite moments. Part of that too is, is I wanted to try and play with the idea of memory and how it's nonlinear. Hmm. So many of the stories that she told me, you know, she, she gave a, you know, the the quick rundown version of how they met, when they met, what was said, when they got married. And then that was like the first five minutes of the interview. Hmm. So then I went back and asked her more questions about these days, about these moments. Cause you know, she's, she's at this point, she was, she was uh, like 91, 92. So she had pretty much rehearsed how she would tell <laughs> the story, <laughs> you know? So I kind of wanted to play with the idea of memory that, you know, even like right Right now, I'm like, how old was I when I interviewed her? You know, it's the same right. thing with the candles. Mm-hmm. And I want to give a shout out to my buddy, Brian Slossy's audio for that moment, because it comes after when they're in Paris and he found this great accordion that he recorded when he was in Paris, I believe. Hmm. And then, so then we have the accordion playing in the background and then we have it stop like a record scratch when she <laughs> moved the candles and it comes back. And it's just, I remember when we did that, it was like 2 a.m. in the studio. And then we just kept playing that like three seconds over and over again. And we're just, we were just dying. We just loved it. So shout out to Brian. Yeah. Well, and, and yeah, the, the, the sound design and the music really helps just put you in this 
this very sort of soft, yeah, I think soft sort of, uh, it, it almost feels like a recliner that you've sat in and knows you so well that when you, you just sit into it, you kind of, you kind of almost melt into it. That's what it felt like to me as I was, as I was watching your project. Can you, can you talk a little bit about the, the sound design and the music and how your interactions with the people were who, who did those things for you? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, so yeah, I'll start with Brian because I was just talking about him. Brian Sloss, he's a sound designer up here and sound mixer up here in uh, Seattle. I met him 2019. We met on a project and then I remember I, I told him about the project and then we grabbed breakfast and we just, we didn't really actually talk about the project at breakfast. We just talked about our grandparents. Hmm. And, and that's how we both knew that like, like this was going to work out. So for a long time, even during animation, we talked about what we wanted the sound design to feel like. Hmm. And that I think helped influence how I imagined the story and how I communicated that with Neely. Um, yeah. So that, so Brian was, was awesome with that. And we'd come up with new ideas all the time. And then once we finally got in the studio, this is my first time ever doing doing like an in-studio sound mix. And it was so much fun. Brian, Brian's such a good presence and energy to be around. And we just were able to to communicate without trying too hard. You know, it's like, oh, I think the sound should be like a like a loop. And I'm like, oh yeah, yeah, let's do that. And then I start to say, or I'm like, it's a or you think it's a whoop. And he he we would know what we were kind of doing. Mm -hmm. And that, you know, we, we spent probably two sessions of about eight hours, one time to like three in the morning, because we just, we just got lost in it. Um, and I think that's a, that's a really important part is just to make sure that the people that you're working with, especially when it's like this, when it's so DIY, that, that you're friends with them. Because you got to spend a lot of time with these people. So it's really important that you get along and that you understand each other. And that you're both just having fun with it, because that's why we that's why we do this. We 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 love movies, we love stories, and uh, you know I think as long as you love what you do, you'll be able to impart that through the project. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, yeah, we everybody talks about how films are made with love, especially small projects and short films are always small projects, but this you know, this project was made with a love that was so concrete, it produced eight people and families and eventually you. I mean, love <laughs> is just obviously present throughout this whole project. Yeah. And, and, and that certainly was aided by the music. Was that Taylor Delph who did that? Yeah, yeah. So you know, you know Taylor. He's, he's also a sound guy up here in Seattle. And I'd been working with him on a, on a little docu-series this past summer. And, you know, I for a moment there, I kind of forgot that he did music. And then we started talking about it. And I was just like, hey, did, do you think you might want to, you might want to have, make any music for Coffee and Sugar? Or if you had anything that you just think might fit. Mm -hmm. So we talked after that and we just kind of talked about musical influences i definitely went wanted to go for a, like a dreamy kind of ambient 
soundscape that that still felt grounded and we talked about m83 and brian eno and some of our favorite Mm. film soundtracks and then pretty much i just kind of let him do his thing and then he would send me a a sample here and there Mm -hmm. and i would just listen to it over and over and over again and um no, he he nailed it. The the tracks you hear in the film are are not far from what he first sent me. Cause he just really took the time to to think about the story and think about you know our conversations. And he just he also just has such a good way of of listening to the world sonically. And I think he was able to really kind of tune into that and 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 bring that into the world of coffee and sugar. Yeah, absolutely. It's just such a great project. And it sounds like, you know, this took place over quite a span of time. And it sounds like you, you know, over that period of time, you were you were learning about a lot of different things, graduating from school and working on various film projects and meeting people. So uh, this might be a hard question to answer. But what are some of the things that you learned on this project that you think would be really helpful for other people? to learn from as well? What are any tips or advice that you have coming out of this project or or coming from your experience in film so far? Oh boy. Yeah. (laughs) As I, as I said earlier, I think one of the main ones is definitely uh, try, try and work with, try and make sure that your collaborators are also your friends. Hmm. I think that definitely helps. You're able to trust each other a lot more. And on that note, just trust each other. There were times where, you know, I wasn't sure how the, how something Neely was animating would look on screen and then she would do it. And I'd like, yep, you, <laughs> you were a, 150% right. And then there were other times where, you know, I had to just be like, no, like, I think, I think this is really what it's going to work out to be. And then like that felt right. So I think it's like really trusting yourself and trusting your, your collaborators because you bring them onto a project because you respect what they do and and you see what they can do. Mm-hmm. So you got to let them do what they want to do in that regard. I would, I would say that's a big one, man. What's cause yeah. So much. It's been a crazy four years. Mm-hmm make when you're making stuff whether it's a uh, film song a painting just do it with love you know i never i never made this with any expectation that it would win an oscar or a golden globe or whatever you know i made it because i wanted to share my grandparents story and 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 make and make them you know heard i think it's important to listen to our elders in of of, of what stories they have to tell and uh, they did so much for me so i wanted to kind of return the favor take the time with people that you love you never you never know when yeah. when something's gonna happen that's a big one and uh, Yeah. Oh man, that that was a hard question. 
I'm gonna be thinking about that. I'm gonna think about that all day. What else have I learned? I'm like, hey Josh, get back on Zoom. We gotta we gotta re-record. I got something new and philosophical to say. Yeah, well, and, you know, even some of the advice that you're giving there, I think it, it goes beyond just advice for, for film or filmmakers. And, and it's really ultimately ad, advice for, for, for living a good life, you know. And mm -hmm. ultimately, I'm sure that's, that's what probably almost any filmmaker would say about any of their projects. But I, I think that it really sounds like this project began with you wanting to show your care and respect and love for your grandmother. And that is, I, I mean, for all of the, us who still have family out there who are getting up there in age or what have you, I mean, that's that's certainly reasonable. I, it was poignant for me watching because my grandma passed away last year. And, you know, it's, those are stories that you have now that everyone else can share. And, and that is a beautiful, yeah. beautiful thing. So I, I think that's most of the questions that I have about this current project. I'm wondering, what should we be looking out for next from you? Where can people find you? Yes, yeah, so there's a, there's a feature doc that's on the circuit right now called Yes, I Am, The Rick Wyland Story. Hmm. I was a associate producer on that and it's directed by my good friend, Aaron Bear, who was really helpful in guiding coffee and sugar to, mm. to completion. You know, he's good at asking some of the hard questions. Mm. Um, so I was producer on that and it's a, it's an incredible story of Rick Weiland, who is basically the, uh, the number three guy at Microsoft behind Paul Allen and Bill Gates. And, uh, his story of dealing with depression through the AIDS crisis, being diagnosed, and then using his Microsoft wealth hmm. to become one of the greatest philanthropists and that legacy that he created. So keep an eye out for that. Um, other than that, I'm kind of just working on on some writing. I've got like a weird little surrealist road trip thing I'm kind of hmm. trying out. And uh, yeah, I'm on I'm on Instagram, Facebook. That's it. I don't, I don't like Twitter. <laughs> I can understand that. I can understand that. It can be a, uh, a pool of piranhas with occasional yeah. sharks. I, I understand. That's a good way to put it. <laughs> well, uh, piranhas. Uh, yeah. <laughs> well, uh, thanks again, Andy. And that's it for well, us. Thank you, Josh. Yeah. Yeah. And thank all of you for listening to Cheat the Camera. Please comment and rate this podcast on iTunes is the best way to help us spread the word. You can get in touch with me by contacting me at contact at cheatthecamera.com. Thanks for listening.